All right, ladies and gentlemen, what a weekend we have, right? Tonight, Ben Askren, Jake Paul. I mean, is that not the most anticipated fight of the weekend? Thank God that UFC card is next weekend, so we have a good little follow-up there. But, you know, I, I think the way we're going hard at Askren as MMA fans, it's kind of crazy, right? I, I don't even think he wants that pressure, but at the same time, you're kind of hoping that he just embraces it and makes uh, the fight happen because – you know, the one thing you notice about Jake Paul in those last few fights, despite them being hella amateur with guys like Nate Robinson, you know, he really can kind of step on that back foot and launch that big power shot. And those are the little things you want Ben Askren to watch out for, just because you don't want him to hit the canvas in that similar way. So everybody put their hands together, regardless of who wins. You just want it to be a good, fun fight. I mean, we all know who we kind of want to win, so let's just stick with the guns there. And then we got UFC Vegas 24, you know, ESPN 22, if you will. Uh, big, big night of fights, right? So we're going to kick it off right away. If you haven't already, hit the like button, subscribe, hit that bell. You know, by next week, we're going to have a whole revamped outlook on these fights. So look forward to that. So we'll get this one out of the way and kind of look forward to uh, UFC 261. But here we go. Let's get uh, right into it with Anthony Burchak and uh, Tony Gravely. I really think that both guys are, are bringing in some really good wrestling here. I think that when you look at um, Tony Burchak's, uh, sorry, uh, Tony Gravely's uh, two-time high school state wrestling championship coming out of ATT, when you look at his last fight, I think he was able to use the wrestling fairly well. There were moments in that first round where you kind of saw him get clipped, right? He had to kind of show some uh, resiliency there. I, I think that could have gone either way in those moments, but, you know, he's able to get those two hands together behind uh, behind the back and, and really force the takedowns. He was doing it all fight. I like the cardio. Those are the little things that I took away from the, from the debut there because I, I think the big thing is his record is beautiful. You know, only losses to Patchy Mix and, and Brett John since like 2018. That's a big deal. So I think that he's able to kind of handle the pressures of being in the UFC. And when you're looking at this fight too, when you, when you're thinking about Anthony Burchak, we last saw him against Gustavo Lopez, one of his buddies as a late replacement. Um, I think that's one of the big things that are, people are counting him out for, right? The chicken looked hell, the, the chicken, the chin looked hella suspect in that fight. And I think that that's going to be one of those things that you want to keep it out, especially in the early rounds when fighters usually have their power. That's going to be a really, really tough go for him. But, um, Wrestling pedigree. I think that he's highly underrated there. His takedown defense, the UFC is well above 70%. So in those cases, you know, this might be one of the tougher fights he gets, but I think Gustavo Lopez is a hell of a tough guy. Was able to submit him in the first round. Um, again, that was a short notice fight. So in this one, you kind of expect, you know, a bit more discipline, chin down, you know, maybe not go so crazy on the strikes because you know that you're going up against a very good wrestler where you maybe actually might be able to stand your own when it comes to the striking game. So I think a lot of people have written him off when it comes to just the overall chin and looking at Gravely's wrestling over the last little bit it, it, it predicts a fight where he's going to be able to dictate pace he's going to be able to get his takedowns in maybe and get a finish on the ground ground and pound style but I think people can't count out Burchak we've seen him you know has been on the regional scene a lot for the uh, grappling and things like that. But his last UFC bow, his last MMA belt was basically 2019. It was, a, it was a win. And I think things like that are going to help him bring some confidence to UFC, but at the same time, you know, short notice fight getting clipped by his boy uh, and now going into a fight with a really good wrestler where he does have some good takedown pedigree and, in, in, in his own game. And um, from a defensive standpoint, at least, and I think that's going to be what kind of helps him get through this fight. The lines are 100% not in his favor when I first looked so opened at plus 175 for Burchak minus 205 for Gravely and now you're looking at closer to that 340 350 range some places showing at minus 333 but you know Burchak most definitely at that plus 250 dog if not higher at most places so if you're feeling like he can 
maybe keep that chin down and ride a good fight out, maybe avoid some of those big takedowns. Like that's a pretty juicy dog to look at. Uh, personally, I think with the way that Gravely's fought lately, I think it's going to be a tough fight for him. I think that he's already proven to be able to eat some good shots and still keep his game plan going. Those are the fighters that always kind of catch my eye because if you're able to take big shots and especially if you're a wrestler and be able to employ that, I mean, you really are going to be able to dictate, you know, when and where the fight goes to the ground, especially if you need a few minutes to kind of get your win back and get your head under you. So I really like this fight from a stylistic perspective. I think that Burchak's going in as a highly underrated wrestler, but his takedown defense has been proven. I think Gravely's going to be really tested here in terms of, you know, if I do get hit with big shots and I do get stunned early, am I able to take this fight to the ground? Because if he isn't and Burchak turns this into a dog fight where maybe his chin, his chin does hold up, I think you're going to be looking at a lot closer fight than these Vegas odds suggest. So keep an eye out for that one. I think it's a phenomenal way to kick off the night of fights. But uh, yeah, I'm going to have to kind of edge with Gravely, Gravely here a little bit. But I don't think that these odds are very, very close in terms of what Burchek might be able to bring to the table. So stick around for that one. It's going to be a beauty. Austin Hubbard and Dakota Bush. You know, before we get right into this one, guys, hit that like button, subscribe, hit that bell. You know, as we get, you know, set for the next card, obviously that's going to be the most beautiful one next weekend. I think we're going to be revamping things a little bit. So it's going to be beautiful to watch. And I can't wait to get into those fights for you guys. But with Dakota Bush and Austin Hubbard, I mean, these are two great fighters. They're fun to watch. I think the big thing with Austin Hubbard that people were kind of down on him for, you know, the, the grappling did look a little suspect in that, in that last fight, you know, Joe Selecki was able to lock down a pretty good rear naked choke, um, pretty much hanging off of his back while standing. He ended up getting the tap. I think Austin Hubbard, is a much better wrestler than that uh, fight would have suggested. Clearly the grappling is the one thing he needs to work on. I think the hands are going to be there. I think Selecki chose to get right into the grappling fight. I mean, take less damage, get into a fight recently. We just saw him fight again and he looked absolutely beautiful against Jim Miller. So he's taken the right steps in his career. And I think Austin Hubbard facing a guy like Joe Selecki was able to get kind of that quick fix, like, Oh shit. Okay. So this is how good people are right now. And you know, right camp, he's going to have the striking. I think that the wrestling is going to be there. So now when you're looking at his opponent, Dakota Bush, short notice fighter, I really like the kid. I think that, you know, going with the nickname, Harry, Dakota, Harry Bush. And funny story behind that, it's actually because that he's got uh, multiple generations of Harold Bushes. So I think it's his dad's grandfather. He's got that there. So I guess you could say he's got a couple Harry Bushes in the family. Uh, but in any case, I mean, beautiful nickname. I think that the striking is going to be there. Uh, the LFA 98 fight was the one that really caught my eye against uh, Austin Clem. So he was actually a short notice fighter and ended, ended up having to drop 31 pounds uh, to take that fight. And he actually dropped the 31 pounds to make weight, but turns out Austin Clem misses weight. So imagine if you're the fighter that just dropped 30 plus pounds to make a fight. Now, your opponent, actually, who was supposed to be fighting anyways, didn't even make that weight. So you can assume that our boy Dakota went in there and absolutely took advantage of the fact that he probably had all the adrenaline in the world to finish that fight, get out of there, and make the most of his opportunity. And so he did. You even talked about in that fight how he just didn't like the idea of being held to the ground so much in some of his previous fights. He really wanted to kind of dictate pace, keep his back away from the ground, and just really play his game. And I think that was an absolute beautiful fight finish uh, it pretty much earned him a shot in the UFC in my opinion here and you know that was just in January so when you think about it he's pretty much been going hard in camp obviously looking for the next fight that's coming his way uh, I think that was a really really good performance when you think of that Austin Clem knockout so he's going in here with a bunch of hype he's got some good UFC fighter backup uh, good camp things like that but I, I think Austin Hubbard's going to be able to kind of 
utilize the versatility in this game. I think that if he allows himself to just stand there and get picked apart, then, you know, Dakota Bush has an absolutely phenomenal chance here of pulling this off. But, you know, if I'm Hubbard and I've experienced some of the things that, you know, let's look at it this way. I mean, Dakota Bush's favorite uh, submission is a rear naked choke. So if you're Austin Hubbard and you know that your opponent's favorite submission is a rear naked choke, which is the same way you lost in the previous fight. I mean, that's going to be probably on your mind. You're going to make sure that you don't put yourself in those positions. And from a, from a wrestling and grappling standpoint, you got to assume that he's got good scrambling ability coming from the camp that he does at team elevation. And the striking's got to be there. The chin really wasn't tested in the last fight. So that's what I'm excited for. Cause I think both of these guys are really going to throw some serious bows. Now, when you think about it, the, the, the fact that they both don't really like to go to the ground so much tells me that this is going to be a striking battle and they're both going to be looking for some bonuses. So keep your eyes on that one. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. That's only the second fight of the night. So just get, you know, keep it locked because it's going to be a beautiful evening. All right, guys, probably one of the more underrated fights on the card. I think Gerald Mishar is mostly remembered for his uh, scuffle with uh, Kamza Chimaev. You know, a lot of the preamble with being booked, uh, you know, a fight right after his. Still ended up losing within 30 seconds. So I think he deserved a break after that fight. You know, last two losses against guys like Kamza and Ian Hynek. You know, he's he's definitely been in a place where, you know, you take a look at the fact that he should have been fighting Ed Herman twice. You know, I think Ed Herman and Gerald Mishar would have made a much more competitive and good fight for where he's at. In his UFC career versus, you know, beasts like Hamzat coming off full camps and great performances. And then also Ian Heineck, who's just recently coming off like a big opportunity against Kelvin Gastelum. So when you look at where he's at in his career, I think this is a great opportunity for him against Bartosz Fabinski. You know, Fabinski's coming in here as a big, big grappler as well. I think he only uses his striking to set up his takedowns. Likes to get you right up against the fence, you know, drag it out, maybe get those like really tight grips and kind of just do a sweep trip to the ground. Really likes to just use the ground and pound style, even from guard. You know, I, I think if you're getting a referee that doesn't like to stand it up too much, it's very favorable for him because he's one of those guys that's just going to keep trying to push you down and keep trying to keep you, you know, in submission territory, ground and pound territory. I think that is striking. It is very much secondary to, to what he tries to do against the fence and on the ground. When you look at his Darren Stewart fight, actually, that was a beautiful fight. It seemed like it was a, a break between their UFC careers when they went back and fought in, in England, but you know, Darren Stewart, who's been looking so good as a UFC fighter, you know, kind of actually met his match, if you will, from a grappling and wrestling standpoint, because Bartosz Vinsky was able to get, you know, him to the ground pretty easily. And the big thing about that was, you know, you saw Fabinski just bloody mess. They like, took a couple elbows there and was just bleeding all over Darren for three rounds. Darren was basically eating Bartosz Fabinski's blood. So, those are the things that I kind of like, right? When, you, when you're thinking about what we've seen from Gerald in the past, what we've seen from even Bartosz Fabinski, this is a much more competitive fight for both of them to kind of get some uh, confidence, momentum under their belt. I think that for Gerald, you know, he's just taken on beasts lately. And he does very well against other southpaws, if you notice. You know, Eric Anders was a very competitive fight. And he's able to slip the punches a bit more, make it a bit more competitive. I, I thought I saw way more success there on the feet. And to be honest with you, when you compare the Eric Anders fight, you know, facing another southpaw against some of the other fights that he's had, it, it's it's just really different in being able to compare the fighter you see from a striking perspective. Because I was really surprised with just how much better he looked there. And so in this case, you know, 
when you're talking about a guy who likes to just push the pace, get you up against the fence, it'll be interesting to see if Gerald tries to actually stand there and strike, because I think in this case, he might have a good opportunity. If he can avoid some of the big shots, uh, he, he can actually maybe dance a little bit here. But again, I, I think the chin might be one of the pound for pound most questionable in the UFC. And I don't know if it's he doesn't like keeping his chin very tucked in, but he does kind of throw for the wind a little bit. And then those are the little things that in the UFC level, I just think that you're bound to get caught. And, and we've seen it happen to him. And I think with Bartosz Wabinski, you know, if he's able to catch you, given his game plan and his usual strategy in fights, that's a tough one to swallow because I think that for him, he might even be thinking that there's the opportunity to finish. And you would assume he'd think on the ground, but at the same time with the history that Gerald's shown via chin, it's going to be an interesting fight for Bartosz to basically, you know, exploit whatever game plan he really wants to given where the fight goes. So I'm excited for it because if we see this, if we get to see a lot of good scrambles and a lot of good, you know, striking battles that, that don't really result in the big knockout. Sometimes I think that this could be one of those fights because they both don't carry tremendous amount of power in their hands, but they both are, you know, primary grapplers who are trying to get better in the striking game. So I'm actually excited for that side of things, because if they do tr try to keep it standing, I think it'll be hella competitive. And, you know, if either guy gets tired or, or even gets hurt, you're going to, you're going to see, some guys try to take this to the ground so keep it locked i think that one's going to be fun very all-around fight and kind of a cla uh, two classic guys who kind of want to just you know get their footing in the ufc so stay tuned for that one i think it's been absolute beauty all right you know i'm a little biased being from canada you know lupita godina has taught trains out of bc so i, I got high hopes for you know a mexican fighter coming out of canada against a huge 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 veteran and jessica penny right like this is a short notice fight i think that uh Godinez has an absolutely beautiful opportunity to actually make a difference very quickly in her UFC career. We always talk about that LFA uh, title showing. I think that she surprised absolutely everybody when it came to the Demopolis fight. The striking was just absolutely beautiful to watch. I also think that Demopolis is just a highly skilled grappler who is still getting her feet wet from a, from a striking perspective. So to think too far ahead on that might be something that people are doing. You know, you're seeing her come at, come in at a minus 300 or so favorite now. And when you look at some of the other fights that we've just talked about with Burchak, Gerald Mouchard is basically even Dakota Bush is a, is a pretty big underdog versus an Austin Hubbard coming in at minus 182, 200. So, you know, Lupita right now at a minus 300, pretty even around that minus 285 line. So, you know, I think people are riding that that performance pretty highly. When you look at what Jessica Penna has done, at least most recently, Danielle Taylor was the, was the fight that I kind of checked out. And, you know, two things, you know, good and bad. You know, I think the high kicks are a little outrageous for, for where she's trying to throw them. For the shorter fighter, she basically cleared her head every single time. Uh, but the good thing that I noticed was, that, you know, she's able to kind of throw the knees out as the smaller fighter gets in really close. And I think that's a really, really opportunistic uh, move to land, maybe even in this fight, right? Because I think Lupita is going to really try to utilize that boxing and get in. And, you know, Jessica is going to be the longer fighter. She usually is. And I think pot shots, jabs, you know, knees and, and body kicks are probably the way to go. I think the high kick seems to be a waste. And if anyone wants to run in and get a quick takedown on some of these sloppy kicks, especially late, it's a really good idea against a fighter like Jessica Penne. Now, if I'm Jessica Penne and I watched Lupita Godinez's last fight, I'm likely trying to get this to the ground. One thing you'll notice in the last fight against Taylor is she really wasn't winning the striking battles very much. But when she did try to get the fight close and when she did try to utilize some of the takes and she had more success, you know, I think that's something where it's a much better game plan to avoid maybe some of the damage that, uh, 
Lupita can do because when you're looking at those hands, I mean, they need to be tested by much better talent, I think, at least from a UFC perspective, because I think Demopolis is right there on the cusp of becoming that UFC fighter. And I'm pumped to watch her fight again. But, you know, when you talk about the way McKenna beat her in striking, Lupita beat her in striking, these are things where you just have to see how good her striking is against a, a fighter like Penny. Cause again, Penny, what can she improve on? I just didn't like that. She was so reactionary against a, a fighter like Taylor, where she kind of is the more experienced guy or experienced fighter. And the other thing is like, wasn't landing very many combos. I felt like she was throwing a lot of single shots, straights, you know, a couple jabs maybe, but then she'd finish with this crazy high kick that really wouldn't find its place. And so, when you're looking at things like that, especially a fighter like Gadinez, who was using her strikes very efficiently in that title fight, it makes you really you know, wonder where this fight's going to go. Because if Jessica Penne, who's been chested, been training for so many years in this entire MMA realm, I think her ability to maybe go in there and try to get a takedown and try to make this a like a, a really grueling ground fight and maybe even just some type of like keep it close, right? Because I think Lupita is going to be quick. She's going to have some hands that can really let go. And if she starts to get tagged for three straight rounds, I mean, I think that's an easy win for Lupita. And, and yeah, I mean, minus 300, that's very questionable. If I'm looking at that as Jessica Pennant, I'm really going to be analyzing like, what is it that they see that this, she's so much better than me at, you know? And I, and I think that's where, you know, the ground game is somewhere where maybe we could see something happen. She's an improving striker, but like even in that one fight, I just was really surprised with, with just how little she utilized that when it was very obvious that Taylor was landing some big shots inside. Penny was able to get some of her timing back later in the fight, but a little too late. And also like, I think the takedowns would have helped her a lot earlier in the fight, especially pushing the pace, getting her up against the fence, just take control of the fight and work off of that. I think it would have done her some, some good in that one. So I think this is going to be an amazing fight to kick off, you know, the, the female fights. We just lost the Zara Fern and jo, uh, Josina uh, Nunez fight, which is unfortunate. Miss weight by a good eight, nine pounds. Not good when you're thinking about the fact that that should have been your UFC, you know, I guess coming out party after taking on two big fights in Felicia Spencer and uh, Megan Anderson. <laughs> I almost lost it there. This is my favorite fight on the card. I mean, that includes Robert Whitaker and, uh, Kelvin Glass. And the only reason I say that is because I've done a lot of research into both of these heavyweights. They both landed on our prospect watch for the month of April. We put our boy uh, Espino at number six and we ended up putting our, uh, our main man, sorry, Alexander Romanov at number one. The reason why we believe this is the case is that Romanov's tail of the tape is just so, so good. I think he's going to have the ability to strike and go to the ground if he needs to. The thing I love about Espino is like, if I'm 40 years old, there's nobody else I want to model my life after. He looks absolutely beautiful, tanned, beautiful, slicked hair, nice mustache on the weigh-ins. He looked absolutely great. Um, might have even changed my mind a little bit on this fight, but the line is hella dictative of how how close this fight might be. But Let's go into his career a little bit. Amazing showing on the uh, Ultimate Fighter there with for, uh, with uh, Forrest Whitaker, with uh, Robert Whitaker. And it was absolutely phenomenal to see what he was able to do win the Ultimate Fighter. And I kind of told the story on the Prospect Watch, but this is a guy who ended up going to know, fights a guy who ends up being a legend in Bellator and just kind of takes six years off to get better, shows up on the Ultimate Fighter, wins it, and now is an undefeated UFC fighter as well. The thing I liked about that fight was, you know, utilize the ground game as we expected. Uh, some of the punches were able to get him in good opportune places. I just don't think that Romanov is going to bend over that easily. I do think that that's going to be a fight where you need to actually be a bit more strategic with your shots. 
Don't expect the takedowns, things like that to be so easy. But I do think that this fight is going to be very competitive if they get in close on each other. That's where I think Romanov has a bit of an advantage. He, she looks like a great athlete, good striker. And the way I'm looking at uh, Espino is more so of the, you know, get in close, throw some dirty boxing, maybe mix it up a little bit. And once the fight goes to the ground, I just think that he's going to really try to surprise him. I think that there's multiple different styles of ground fighting. And, and you know, Romanov might be used to one way and he absolutely exploited his last two fights in the UFC, right? I don't give him so much credit for the Rock Martinez fight. And it's nothing against Rock Martinez, but the way that Alexander Romanov is coming into the UFC, I just think that he already merits a certain level of UFC fighter. And when you look at what he did to Costa, like that's that fight threw me right off because it was one of the first times I'd ever seen the um, the forearm choke directly onto the mat. And I did some research onto that. And that's the second time that Roman have actually landed that forearm choke. It's almost like a finishing move. He landed it once in Russia and he landed it in the UFC. And you look at this fight, I think st- submission wise, it's going to be a bit tougher, but you know, if this turns into an athletic battle, a striking battle, and even just a, you know, a battle of cardio, things like that, I think it's going to surprise a few, despite how much better of an athlete Espinel might look. I think Romanov has such hidden strength, bear-like tendencies that can really be overwhelming for any kind of fighter. And with both of them trying to show off what they can do in a striking department, despite such good ground games and wrestling, I think that's going to be the most fun. I, I'm hoping that I can see some really good improvements. You know, Espino is coming out of a camp like ATT. So I think that that's going to be something that they focused on, especially if you watch tape on Alexander Romanov. I mean, the guy really does like to maul you. And I mean, he does throw funny stuff like jump kicks and runs at you with some knees, things like that. So the athleticism kicks in here. And I think the one thing I'm interested to see is how well he does in say a third round. So if this fight goes to a third round and Espino is kind of chilling with his BJJ ATT type of cardio, well, that's going to be a problem for Romanov. And I think that's why we're not seeing the, the, the lines just shoot up as high as some people might've thought going into this fight because Espino has a really, really good ground game. He has some good strikes to set it up and the work against the fence is where I really like it because that is some of Romanov's most offensive game plays. He likes to get his fighters up against the fence. He likes to fill you up with some punches. And then when it's the most opportune form, drag you to the ground, fill you up with some body strikes and maybe even finish you off with a submission. And if you're good at jujitsu, he just finishes with strikes. So in both cases, I'm just really looking forward to a classic matchup of heavyweights where the athleticism actually kicks in. So stay tuned for that one. My pick for probably the most surprising fight of the night. I think it's going to be hella fun and I can't wait to get into the next one. So it is unfortunate we lost the Bill Algeo fight. I think he's become a really good fan favorite. Was supposed to take on Ricardo Ramos. You know, uh, one of two fights that we got, we didn't get to see. So we take that with a great assault nowadays in the UFC. It's becoming like a dime a dozen thing when it comes to UFC cards and fights in general. But, you know, let's take a look at the prelim main event before we get right into the uh, main, main event. And, you know, I'm loving this fight, right? So before we get into it, don't forget, like, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. You know how it goes. Uh, Tracy Cortez and Justine Kish, right? Uh, I, I'm disappointed that uh, Cortez missed weight by that 0.5 pounds. She looked hella devastated from it. Had to use the whole little portable change room there to see if she could make that half uh, half pound, but unfortunately she didn't. So she came in at 126.5. Justine Kish looked hella, hella athletic on there. She did not look like she had any issues making that weight, but I think that's what we've come to expect from a legend and, and from, a, from just a veteran like that. I think she's she's shown that she can dance with the best. She knows that she's a gatekeeper for some of the UFC's best prospects. And like Sabina Mazo, right? She was able to strike with her for most of that fight, but 
was taking damage. And the moment that fight went to the ground, she was a fish out of water. She, her back was taken. And, you know, sooner or later that fight was done. I think that Kish has the good ability to try and get this fight a little bit more in her arena. Right. I, I think that Cortez has shown off some of her movement, but it's also very wrestling and striker based. So you're looking at a Muay Thai kickboxer style versus kind of the wrestling movement. Who's trying to get the boxing all put together. I think that Cortez is a great wrestler. And if she's smart, she's probably going to take us to the ground. Right. I think that she knows that she's going up against an absolute absolute beast when it comes to the striking devastating elbows big strikes leg kicks body kicks these are the things you want to avoid from a fighter like justine kish because she can tire you out with just volume and i think with her it's like you're not going to see much of the cardio missing i think that for her it's very much like i'm a little bit older in the game and i i know what i do very well but as i get beaten up and as i get tired sure you know I'm susceptible, susceptible to pretty good ground games. And I think that's where Cortez needs to be able to kind of tell herself, like, don't get into slugfest with a fighter like this because it can probably go south. Uh, in this case, I think that setting up her strikes, using feints to level change, get those takedowns when they're ready. You know, if you don't get the submission, not a big deal, but work those takedowns, use the level changes. This is not a fight where you need to be kind of going back and forth in strikes nonstop. You know, you really can utilize... Um, I think some of the ground game, you look at her fight with Aaron Blanchfield, it's kind of the opposite, right? I think that that was a fight where you saw the movement and the striking maybe play in her her favor when it came to the judges' scorecards and that split decision. But in this case, it's like the opposite. In her last fight, you know, a lot of that movement kind of helped her set up that win. And I think that in this case, you're going to see very something very similar. Sabina Maslow's game plan might be the best game plan to take in if you're not finding it very easy to get those takedowns early in the fight. I think the one thing that's going to surprise people is how good the striking might be for both of them. I think this could be a very competitive fight, but at the same time, I would not be surprised if Justine Kiss just ends up taking over the fight in that realm. And maybe, the, you know, Cortez's the striking ends up more to set up the takedowns and kind of work her submissions, really work some ground and pound entire route because the way I read this fight is I think that you're having such a young gun uh, who's who's pretty much well-versed everywhere who can, you know, meet her match in, in the striking department for the most part in this fight. I like the Muay Thai and kickboxing out of Justine Kish. I think it's going to be a hell of a fun fight. If it does go to the ground, expect Cortez to have an advantage, but at the same time, you know, we've seen crazier things in MMA and if the veteran does kind of have what it takes to pull the rabbit out of the hat, you know, it'd be fun to watch um, her career kind of take off in a different way. But, you know, a lot of people are riding Cortez. I think she's looking now like a minus 300 favorite, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right now, yeah, she's pretty much in that minus 275, minus 300. I'm looking at a site right now, Bet Online, actually throwing you at minus 330. So Kish is really looking close to that minus or so that plus 250, plus 300 type of dog. Uh, you can see why that's the case. You know, there's only really one area we can kind of see her pull this off. And in that specific area, Cortez is looking like she's getting better and better with every fight. So stay tuned. That could be a beautiful upset if it does happen. But at the same time, Cortez is just such a beast right now and looking like she's at the top of her game, despite maybe that weight miss. Uh, hopefully it doesn't affect her so much in the fight, but should be a fun one. All right, everyone. It's time. Main card tings. So, you know, we got... Robert Whitaker, Calvin Gaslam headlining that one with a pretty cool co-main event, right? We got Steven, Steven Thompson taking on a guy like Jakar Close, who's, who's pretty much climbed the ranks, only two real losses on his record. So let's get right into the Alex Munoz and Luis Pena fight before we get into that. I think both these guys are going to be using their wrestling a little bit. I think that Pena is going to be a bit better of a striker, but 
Munoz proved that he can actually take some good damage. I think that's the one thing we saw in the last fight. You were a little disappointed with the lack of success in the wrestling. And I think by the third round, he was something like one for eight or one for nine in takedowns. That's not what you want to see from a primary, you know, wrestling athlete who's coming out of Team Alpha Male. We know what they do with their striking, good power shots, a lot of combos to set up that level change and take it to the ground. I think that he definitely came up short in that fight. It was obvious that, you know, there were there were areas to improve on. The one thing I want to say about Luis Payne is the length, right? I think that, you know... Bob Ross here is just so much length and, and pot shot type of ability in a fight like this. I think you saw Munoz be hella flat footed, you know, he had the good showing of the Daniel contender series, but at the same time, I think that when you're looking at some of his past wrongdoings, it'll just play really, really well into what Luis Pena does well. And so if I'm him, I'm trying to utilize the fact that this, this is not as good of a striker as I faced in the past, to be honest. And, and I think getting in close, really finishing that those takedowns and getting it to the ground and maybe making Pena work for submissions and things like that off of his back. That's how you're going to gain momentum. That's how you're going to gain confidence in this fight. I don't think that he's a bad striker by any means. I think he can get his shots in there, but the last fighting against Nassar Hakparas was just so tough to watch, right? Because you saw a guy calling, calling his opponent over, but I don't think Nasrat was getting pretty, you know, taken aback by that. He just played his game, didn't really, you know, get it off of his, uh, get off his game plan. I think that that was the best part of that fight for me. I think that you had Nasrat prove that even after his loss, uh, that he's such a good striker for the UFC level, worked his wrestling with Khabib. There's a good little group of um, athletes there that are, that are sticking together and getting better as a group. And I think that we saw that against Alex Munoz. So, with Bob Munoz, it's a lot of lateral movement. Stop moving forward, back. You need to improve the footwork when it comes to the striking. Otherwise, you're just going to get tagged for three rounds and hope that you can land a takedown at some point in the fight to either try and take over or get your infamous guillotines in and rear nakeds. But in this case, you know, I don't think that uh, Luis Pena is going to be as good of a striker as Nassar Hakparas is. And that's the big thing, right? Coming at AKA, the wrestling style gym, his ground game is going to be sound. So if we watch two guys just push each other up against the fence for a while without much, you know, striking happening, there's a chance. But at the same time, when you look at the way that Munoz played his game in the last fight, when you look at the way Luis Pena tries to fight his fight, I think that you're going to see these guys try to feel each other out in the feet a lot. You're going to see Pena use the length, get some kicks in there, get some pot shots, some jabs in there because I think that's the one way to get Munoz off his game is if he's going to keep being the forward, you know, the North South fighter that we're seeing, well then, you know, tagging up a little bit with leg kicks and getting those, you know, jabs in until you maybe even want to work it up against the fence yourself. But like there's, there's opportunities to, to tire him out. And I think that if you flip the script a little bit, Munoz needs to get in there close not be afraid, get in close, beat the jab, get past those hands and start working the body and work the takedowns. I think that if he can get it up against the fence, he should have some good strength and technique to get this to the ground, work some ground and pound. I mean, that's the big thing with Faber is I think he's going to actually force him to kind of push that a bit more. You even heard him yell a little bit about how the, he was just missing certain opportunities and, and not setting them up very well. Like he was missing the uppercut so much. He kept getting tagged by the same uppercut when he would go in for the, for the shot and he wasn't seeing it. And Faber had to kind of mention that going to the third round so little things like that you would hope that Alex picks up a little bit on when it comes to you know the fight IQ things like that because now he's not facing such a versatile striker but he's going to have to deal with the length he is going to have to deal with some kicks and probably some jabs that are coming his way and being able to get past those to then work in your own game plan as the smaller fighter is very very important and I think that's where we're going to see his game plan go I think that even if you know 
Pena starts to show a bit of some signs of fatigue. I think that's going to be a great opportunity for Munoz to try and take over again, this fight. When we're looking at the lines, man, it, it's still hella close. I don't see much of a difference here. You're getting Munoz now at around that plus 120 to, a, and Luis Pena is now moved up to a minus 150. So obviously leaving that range of say closer to a pick'em, but at the same time, we know why that's the case. Pena is the longer fighter, should be the better striker. Both have good wrestling pedigree. So, there's a lot more going in his favor, but at the same time, when you don't see those minus 300 lines, there's a reason for that. And I think that that comes down to Munoz's wrestling. I think it comes down to his ability to maybe hold him down, get the ground and pound going, and really just show what Team Alpha Male is all about. So stay tuned for that one. I think it's going to be a highly interesting fight just for two guys who are on the come up and, and have really good all-around games, except for Panium, who maybe has, has that edge in the striking and length. And yeah, this one, I mean, don't forget, like, subscribe, hit that bell. You know, Abdul Al-Razak Hassan, I, I, there's something that I really enjoy about his fighting style, but I also think it's becoming a little obsolete, right? So when you look at him coming out of a, a camp like Fortis and the way they fight, I mean, there's a lot of versatility there, but it makes you wonder why a guy like Al-Hassan has struggled so much with the takedowns and the wrestling stuff like that. Because the one thing that I really have enjoyed about him was the improvement. But then you saw, like, when you take a look at his losses, for example, guys like Lezez, uh, Chaos Williams, one more, Akhmedov. So when you think of those three losses, those are highly skilled athletes. And the one thing I want to point out about the Chaos Williams fight is, you know, I thought that that was a lazy loss. I, I, I hate to call any fighter that, but when you look at the way he put up his guard, when he threw the leg kick, Chaos looked hella confident in that fight. And he was throwing really, really straight punches, precise punches and tight punches. And so what I really didn't like about that leg kick was he kind of went like this, put his hands up, see his hole here. Like that's how big the hole was through the leg kick and, you know, just straight through, boom, straight through the middle there. Power punch from just that straight, you know, dropped him clean, body frozen. So what, what tell, what, what I learned from that fight was there's, there's, there's certain things where, you know, Al-Hassan, I've seen him get worked on the ground by new fighters like Lazez, you know, couldn't even get out of there. was a little bit tired. Absolutely no answer for this kickboxer from France's ground game. And that's understandable. A lot of big strikers kind of end up in those positions, but in that chaos Williams fight, I think you saw a separation of what a power striker versus a technical striker looks like. For Chaos Williams to know that he felt that leg kick and looked straight through that guard and just punched right through it, I mean, it goes to show just how high-level Chaos's IQ was there and also where Al-Hassan has a bit of improvement to make if he wants to get to that next level because when you look at the way he throws, a lot of big power hooks and this massive overhand right. So when those are the punches you're throwing, you don't set them up much with jabs. It's a lot of straight, a lot of straights and just a lot of big hooks. And you try to set up that big power, right? But, you know, for the guys that have been able to avoid it, they've kind of exploited him for, for you know, what he is. And not to call him a one-dimensional striker, but at the same time, it's like when you're focusing so much on the power game of your striking, you kind of forego a lot of the other stuff. So being such a muscular guy and being so top heavy and having to deal with all this kind of like, you know, wrestling, ground game, it just doesn't work out well for him. But I think that being at Forest, working with guys that are good wrestlers, and also now changing divisions, I think that there's a part of me that always believe that with, with that kind of weight, that kind of mass, like you have to kind of consider what weight class you want to be in. And when you look at the wins, him and Jake Balcoon, I mean, not a huge weight size difference. So that really, really is a, is a fun thing for me to look at. 
The one thing about Jacob Malkoon that I want to talk about, though, is we've only really seen him start once, and that was in favor of Imavov against Phil Hawes. We know that he lost that fight in 17 seconds. Now, the big thing about that one is the Cannoneer Whitaker card is this is Whitaker's training partner, right? And he only weighed in to see if anybody fell out of these fights. And so he ended up getting a fight, so good for him. But, I mean, at the end of the day, to less than 20 seconds of work with Phil Hawes, I did watch his uh, his fight in Eternal MMA 48 out in Australia against a fighter by the name of Sebastian Temesi. And the, the few things I enjoyed there was that you actually, well, first of all, you got to see a bit longer of tape than 30 seconds. But, you know, I, I think that the striking, the boxing and, and all that's there. The boxing looks like it's pretty good. Uh, I think the big thing is there's a reason why he's working on his wrestling with a guy like Robert Whitaker because he needs to be able to defend those takedowns. He needs to be able to find other ways to win the fight because – in a fight like this, where Al Hassan could easily become the much better striker, I think that that's a problem for him. Where you know, taking it to the ground as quickly as possible, or pushing up against us, just closing the distance, working clinch strikes, all that kind of stuff is just the smart move for him. Because at the end of the day, we know what Al Hassan is going to be trying to do, and that's take your head off with big hooks and a massive overhand right. So slowing him down, hit the body, try to faint get those level changes going and even try to take this to the ground. And I think it's going to be a lot more competitive fight than people think. Cause when you're looking at these odds, man, I, it didn't even open that, that good form minus three fifty and a plus two eighty five. These lines are actually moving in favor of Jake Malcolm. And I think we know why, because Alasan has the ability to let you down when it comes to these kinds of things, you expect him to perform absolutely amazingly, but the technical side of another fighter just takes over. And unfortunately, you know, he gets tired, he gets taken down and that's basically around two and three, maybe the half of two, but you're hoping to see something different here. Hopefully his wrestling gets tested because Malkoon is also a wrestler in training. So I think this is going to be a big, big striker battle with good boxing and yeah, someone's probably going to get knocked out of this fight. So we'll see how that goes. Chase Sherman, man. I mean, it's so funny that we got to we got to watch him so much younger in his career. He's not even past his like early thirties. He's starting to make a comeback in the UFC. His fight against Ike Villanueva. I mean, how good was that? It, I I just thought it was a really really good performance of an improving striker that we've seen kind of get knocked out a little bit. We he proved that he can take some big shots because Ike is a good boxer, swagging and banging baby. You know that that's the that's the guy with the famous quote after his last fight. But against Chase, I, I really think that he was able to land power shots, but then eat some of his own. He got hit with a big body shot and just could not recover up against the fence. Took some big punches. Ref called the fight, and I think Chase Sherman looks absolutely phenomenal now. I think that his Overall, MMA game was always there, but now he's got some proven ability in the striking department, and in this fight, he's going to need it, right? I think that when you're looking at Arlovsky and what he's done, Tom Aspinall is probably a top prospect pound for pound in the UFC. So for him to take that fight as the gatekeeper, you know, I think even I mean, getting as far as he did against a guy like Tom is a big deal. I think that we're going to see a lot of stylistic matchups just get overrun by a guy like Tom, who's a great boxer, a perfect heavyweight when it comes to athleticism and can move like a middleweight. I think that's going to be the scariest thing. So I'm really excited to watch him fight moving forward. But on top of that, when you're looking back at some of the things that um, Arlovsky's done, you know, Tanner Bozer was a great little prospect that he kind of, you know, was able to read very easily just knew to watch out for some of those strikes and, and was just 
a better fighter. I think that he won that in, in a smart way. The fight IQ is there. So that's what now, when you look at a guy like Chase Sherman, you look at Arlovsky, we're starting to see more ring IQ, more experience, and I'll go head to head. I think this fight, there's a reason why you're seeing these odds so close for Arlovsky to open as a minus 170 favorite in a fight that he basically took on short notice. And now he's looking at minus 125, and Chase Sherman's actually pulling in closer as a pick him with a plus 100, minus 110 in some places. This is a tough fight for either guy. I think that Arlovsky's chin can be tested, and at the same time, so can Sherman's. But Sherman was tested pretty heavily against a guy like Ike Villanueva, and he came out looking great chin-wise. Arlovsky, on the other hand, I think that he's able to roll with punches really well, and depending on the fighter and the power they punch with, I think that that's going to be the biggest concern. And Chase Sherman is punching with power. Ike Villanueva has a chin as well, but he could not hit that body. He could not deal with that body shot. And the rest of those flurries coming in after the fact were, were the cherry on top. So in this case, I think if I'm Arlovsky, maybe there's the opportunity for taking this to the ground and do some classic ground and pound style. But, um, you know, Chase Sherman's going to be looking like a true heavyweight with some good power. And I think that with, with you know, the leg kicks, the strategy coming from Arlovsky camp, that's always what we look for with him. I think that he's a little bit better than some of the highlight tapes suggest. Like he's not going in there and swinging and banging himself. I think that he's always been a bit more of a technical fighter and gets caught up in some of those moments. But Again, after a tough fight like our, uh, uh, Tom Aspinall, I think this is going to be a phenomenal fight for him to try and get some of that uh, you know, wind back under his sails, if you will. And even if he doesn't win, I think this is a beautiful fight opportunity for either guy, just some of these old classical heavyweights to kind of keep, keep a relevancy in the UFC and even just show how fun that these two guys can really swing. Uh, that's going to be my most favorite part, I think. And, you know, if these guys don't win fight bonuses, somebody on that undercard will. But this is a really, really high possibility if one of them don't get finished. So, you know, setting us up for two great fights in the co-main and main events. You got Arlovsky and Sherman. You couldn't have asked for anything better. Jeremy Stevens and Jakar Close. So, I mean, when I'm looking at this fight, I, there's something so beautiful about watching these these kinds of guys, you know, get at it. I mean, the weigh-ins, the face-offs, what was that all about? I think Jeremy Stevens is trying to sell a fight. I think Jeremy Stevens is trying to learn how to hate somebody. So his one in four UFC record right now can look a bit better. Uh, I don't blame him. But at the same time, when you're looking at the fights that he's had, the year Rodriguez twice, one was a no contest. Then you have the Magama Cherepov fight, one of the biggest names in UFC right now who doesn't really fight as often but is still such a pull and then obviously you got Aldo and Cater Calvin Cater such a good striker such a good boxer was able to nail him with some big shots and elbows and dropped him pretty heavily I always feel like Stevens is so susceptible to those like temple shots and those quick little inside boxing dirty boxing type of strikes because he seems to get dropped by those and and I think that from an overall striking perspective, he has such a good opportunity here because he's going to be more versatile. He should be quicker on his feet. The one thing I like about uh, our boy here in Dracar Close is just he's an athlete, man. He moves like an athlete. He's such a prototypical wrestler. He's got the big shots, right? So we know that he likes to throw the big right. I mean, Benil Dariush is laying bodies in every weight. So... I think that one is a little bit hard-pressed. He actually was hurting Benil Dariush a little bit too. Dariush even said himself he loves to get into those little quick bangers where mans are just throwing and see who comes out on top. He even said, right, I, I win some, I lose some. That one he won. So unfortunately, Jokaro Kose, who was playing with his most people at the time of the shot, just took a massive overhand left and just got dropped. Fight ended. Funny enough, that's the fight where the meme with uh, Anik 
Cormier and Rogan came from because that's the punch they're reacting to. So if you've used that meme or seen it in the past, give it up to Benil Dariush and Drakkar Kosa for making it happen. But that's where I think Drakkar can improve a little bit, right? We noticed that he was a little bit indisciplined with the striking, like with a guy who's got sneaky power like Benil Dariush. I think Jeremy Stevens is in the same boat. In fact, I would go as far as saying that Jeremy Stevens might even be a more versatile striker than Benil Dariush is because Dariush has gotten better over the last few years. But Jeremy Stevens has been fighting the best fighters in the UFC since what? UFC 71 was his first and he lost to Dean Thomas via armbar. That's how long Jeremy Stevens has been in the UFC. So when I'm taking in just the striking that he can bring to the table, I think both guys have pretty good submission defense, which is like, sorry, takedown defense is what I'm really excited about. I, for the one thing I wanted to check on with um, our main man, Jeremy Stevens is I think the wrestling was always something that people might criticize him for. But when you look at the takedown defense, you know, it's still sitting at 65% versus Dracar close to 68%. And that's the thing I like about Stevens in this fight is that despite being such a big, un- well, actually pulling in as the favorite, I think that it comes with the versatility and striking and the potential um, work he can do on top. I think that he's got great elbows. He's got great strikes. He just has to avoid those big overhand shots that might put him out. And some of the wrestling, if I'm Drakkar, I'm getting this fight up against the fence. I'm working it to the ground. I'm not letting Jeremy Stevens get some of these kicks off, some of these elbows off, big punches. I don't want to stand and bang with Jeremy Stevens. If I'm Drakkar Close, I'm going to turn this into a wrestling fight and force him to play my game because Drakkar Close should be the better wrestler here. And I think that if he takes that opportunity, he might be able to squeeze out a good decision here. I think it's going to be tough to submit him. It's going to be tough to, to finish him without that crazy versatility um, like a like you know a Benil or someone has because it's if it comes down to the one punch good strikers pick up on that by the second round you know I think that's going to be something where if he keeps throwing the same punches Jeremy's going to be able to avoid them or defend them or roll with them and he's going to be able to get off some good body strikes to tire him out good elbows that's that's where I see Jeremy having good success but if this fight goes to the ground, if Drakkar chooses to use the wrestling, I think there's a lot of opportunity here for him to pull off an upset. And again, when I'm looking at the lines, very similar to what we just discussed with uh, Chase Sherman, you know, Drakkar close is sitting at a comfortable plus 100. We're seeing some places, you know, even put him at a plus 105, but these guys opened at minus 110 and minus 120 respectively. So, you know, if you, if you have a lean in this fight, by all means, go for it and enjoy it because I think it just comes down to those two things. And I guess it just so happens that Drakkar Close's wrestling is just as good as Jeremy Stevens is striking. And I think that's what we're going to see who can come out on top between both of these guys pitting those skills together. I'm excited for it. No real size difference. Both guys fight orthodox. So I think this is going to be hella competitive. And again, their striking is just so close, man. The three, you know, the 3.1 versus the 3.8 and Stevens versus, you know, Drakkar and the strikes landed per minute. The absorb is literally 3.06 versus 3.64. So from a volume perspective, you know, Drakkar Close is throwing way more and eating way more, but it's just such a smidgen of a punch. So I think this is hella close of a fight, depending on where the fight goes. It could be anyone's game. So keep it locked. I think that's going to be one of the best fights of the night. All right, everybody, let's get right into the main event. We got Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gaslam. Now, the one thing I want to talk about Kelvin Gaslam and Whitaker right away is the wins. I mean, for how big of a dude Gaslam looks, you know, he's a, such a thick guy, but he's athletic, so he doesn't look fat, especially at wins. But Robert Whitaker is a big middleweight. I mean, he's a bigger man than Kelvin Gaslam without question. And even on weight cut day, the man looks absolutely shredded. He looks 
thick, you know, that body structure for his weight class is so good. And I think it's fights like these where you kind of see the difference, you know, and a guy like Israel who, who's, who's, who's smart skinny, you know, I love that kind of skinny fighter. It's, it's the quicker, more accurate puncher. I believe that always wins less, take less damage. And Kelvin Gaston was able to put some damage on him. That's what really impressed me. Oh, Kelvin striking. I think that because of his wrestling, he's able to force people to, 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 to read um, level changes, feints, things like that. And I think with Israel, you know, he's, he's actually proven to be a lot better since that fight. I think that was one where maybe he threw Calvin a bone. I don't know. But I think, you know, Calvin's just getting so much better working with the guys at Kings MMA. His striking is just oceans apart from what we've seen in the past. And it's getting so good that he barely has to use his wrestling. And his wrestling was what got him into the UFC. It's what got him on tough and got him the wins. Um, but again, with, with when your striking is improving that much and your wrestling is actually forcing people to just fear you in terms of takedowns and being able to get it up against the fence and to the ground, I think that's allowing him to exploit some of his striking skills so much. You know, I always bring up the Jack Hermanson fight with me because I, to this day, don't think I've lost one on any bigger fight because that was one where, you know, the disappointment in his face alone was just, you know, I think he's the kind of guy that takes the punches really well, but you know, it, it's a tough loss when you, you just looked so good within that first little bit there, very Michael Johnson esque but got, got caught and the Joker pulled that victory out. So I think that those are the little things with Gaston that you kind of want to see him avoid just as a fighter, because I think that with him, you just want to see him do well and not do poorly for just bad decisions, both inside, outside the octagon, whether it's eating or whether it's like just getting caught in a submission like that. I think that he's just becoming a better fighter. He's still young. He's still hungry and he's already fought for a title. So that's where I was thinking that already fighting some of the best in the business, the Darren Till loss was a big one, but you know, Beating Robert Whitaker is a big deal, especially with Whitaker having those two wins over Romero, the Till win, uh, the Cannoneer win, basically put Cannoneer out of the division for a little bit, in my opinion, because he's now going to have to climb back up to face some of these big dogs. So, you know, if Gelf, if Gaslam pulls this off, he definitely, you know, going to get another chance at the champion, in my opinion. That was such a close fight anyway, so it, it's a very billable fight. But um, at the same time, you know, it's really weird to think, like, you know, if Whitaker wins this fight, what does he look like moving forward? Because it could be hella, hella tough to watch that one go down again. Marvin Vittori on the outside looking in after dummying um, Kevin Holland in the wrestling department. So, you know, the middleweight division has just so many players right now. I mean, lightweight, all these guys, right? Like there's such, such, such good divisions right now to watch. But I think this is a fight that's going to really dictate, you know, who should get the next shot, but, but more so who the better fighter is moving forward. Because I think Gaslam is not being given an opportunity when you look at this plus 225, plus 210, Bodog putting him at a plus 210 um, as we speak. And this opened it up plus 220. So he is getting some action in other areas. But um, Robert Whitaker is coming at a comfortable minus 250, minus 260 type of favorite. And I think that just from the size, the experience, and what we've seen him be able to do against wrestlers himself, I think it's a really fun fight. And, you know, you want to talk about wrestling defense. Both these guys clearly have wrestling defense to the point where they just don't want to take it to the ground. Um, for me, my favorite is looking at uh, – 
even Robert Whitaker is because Robert Whitaker is a pretty good wrestler who likes to take the fight to the ground sometimes. But again, 84% takedown defense for Whitaker versus Kelvin 64%. So even in terms of landing takedowns, I mean, 27% for Whitaker, 39% for Gaslam. I think there's a lot of things that play into this, especially the caliber of fighters they've been taking on. I think your just ability to take fighters down is going to get significantly worse as you move up in the UFC. But in the same light, their takedown defense looks just as good in comparison. I think that's where you're going to see Whitaker shine. Um, it's tough to go against him in this fight. As much as I love Gaslam on a personal level, I want to see him do well, but I just think that from an athletic perspective and just how quick that Whitaker can be with his inside out punching, his leg kicks, I think those are the little areas that are going to be tough for Kelvin Gaslam to deal with because he's going to be able to do this for five rounds. He's not going to be planted. He's not going to be still. And even if this does turn into a bit of a grappling match, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see who gets the edge here. Uh, that, you couldn't have asked for a better fight leading up to what is a triple title card next month or next week. You also got the Ben Asker, Jake uh, Paul fight tonight. So just fights all around for the next seven days. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. Don't forget guys. I really appreciate the support so far. Like subscribe, hit the bell. I'm going to be doing big things for the fights coming up next week. So stay tuned, but hopefully you like the videos today and take it easy. Peace.